0: This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society, from politics to pop culture and beyond. And today, Good Faith Fam, I mean uh it's pretty crazy uh this is a five alarm fire we have with us one of the most incredible entrepreneurs in the world of faith period he's the co-founder of the number one app for daily prayer on the planet the planet pray.com he's the amazing matt potter and we're going to talk about prayer community dynamism in the world of faith and of course a ton of other good stuff but first uh let's set this bad boy up so We've been talking for weeks now about the book of Leviticus, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty dry book at first glance, so I think we've seen how wonderful it is when you look under the hood, but the ending... Uh, well, the ending doesn't pull any emotional punches, boy. It's got a long list of like terrible things that'll happen if you don't obey God's word. Just like calamity after calamity, the world will really feel like it's fallen apart is the basic message. Now, it's frightening at all, but actually one of the most beautiful observations I've ever heard about a biblical verse is actually about this passage. And it was taught to me by my grandfather of blessed memory, uh, the great rabbi Norman Lamb. The whole ending of Leviticus, the potential catastrophes that it narrates, is introduced by God saying, and it shall be that if you do not obey me, and then all the things that'll happen if you don't obey him. But my grandfather pointed out that the word in Hebrew, in ancient biblical Hebrew, that means to obey, Shema, it also means to hear. And the Bible's message is that what will one day make us miserable is not simply our unwillingness to obey God, because at least when you disobey someone, you're still in a conversation with them. No, the real disaster is an inability to hear God, because when you can't hear someone, That means the conversation's over. Now, look, we've lived through a lot of really bad things lately, a global pandemic, injustice, war, and it feels like an era of punishments. And maybe it is. I don't know. But at the same time, I do think that we live in a generation that not only can still hear God, but actually hears God maybe more potently than ever before maybe more than any time in the last few decades. Like, young people are looking for mission and purpose, even if they don't know exactly where to find it. And you can see it reflected in culture. I mean, just to take one example. Global superstars, whether it's Bieber, Chance the Rapper, Steph Curry, are talking openly and passionately about God, which wouldn't have been a thing like in the late 90s, or early 2000s of pop culture. Like, people are hungry. We're in the conversation. And for me, well, that gives me a lot of hope. We're not headed for catastrophe. But maybe... Just maybe we're headed not for the disasters of Leviticus, but for the hope of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, the hope of families, communities, societies, and a whole world transformed for the better. And so to unpack all of this and talk about where we've been, where we're going. I brought on one of the people who's actually done more than almost anyone in the world to deliver proof of concept on all this. He's the co-founder of Pray.com, the world's number one app for daily prayer. He's a builder, he's a visionary, and most importantly, he's an incredibly good dude. He's Matt Potter. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Rabbi
2: Ari Lamb, thank you so much
1: for having me. So excited to be here. I love it. So before we get into the conceptual issues, I... I actually want to talk about your history a little bit, your experience with Pray.com. So first of all, where does this idea come from? I'm sure you've talked about this before, but just to set the the stage for listeners who may not be familiar, where does this all start? Like faith on the internet?
2: Yeah, yeah. Great question. As far as Pray.com goes, the idea started from a tragedy that my business partner experienced in his life. Uh, He was working at another business. He was the CEO, the 29-year-old. CEO of $150 million a year aerial production and surveillance company, and he's running a senior leadership team meeting, and he gets a phone call from another country and doesn't pick it up, and he gets the same phone call again, picks it up, and the voice on the other line just said that your business partner just died. Wow. And that's really the seed that planted Prey.com five years ago.
1: Wow. Wow. So what happens? Like, how does this turn into a company? So let me, uh, how about I
2: start at Inception? So I'll I'll tell you a story. 15-year-old, scared, pregnant, and lonely girl walks into a local community church that she'd never been to before to talk to the local community church pastor about the biggest decision she's gonna make in her life, whether or not to keep her baby. And so the pastor, not knowing really what to tell her because he didn't know her, didn't know her parents, called a friend of his who just planted a 20-person church in Los Angeles and said, hey, what should I tell this 15-year-old girl that just walked into my church? And he said, you know what? It's crazy that you say that. I've got two members of my 20-person congregation that have been trying to have children for 10 years and haven't been able to. Why don't you ask the girl if she'd be willing to give her baby up for adoption? And so this incredible Christian couple at this church adopted this baby. And I got adopted through this pastor network of pastors. My dad helped uh, the local pastor who just planted that church, grow that church to a 15,000 person megachurch here in Los Angeles of all places. And uh, that's really inception at the beginning. I went to Boise State University after that. Uh, Didn't graduate. I left one credit hour short. My parents love me for that. Uh, Started a real estate SaaS platform called Homestack. Incredible company. We built all the apps for Coldwell Banker, Century 21, Sotheby's, Keller Williams, all the major real estate companies in the United States. Super fun. Imagine what you could have done with that extra credit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one extra credit. Hopefully, Boise calls me with an honorary. That'd be awesome. <laughs> At least that'd be awesome for my parents. Let's put it that way. But yeah, we built we built over six thousand apps in the app store, and uh, we did that over uh, twelve years. Absolutely incredible. Bootstrapped that company, and twelve years in, you know, I'm getting to the place in my life where I don't really need to work if I don't want to. And the company's doing incredibly well. Customers are super happy, but I'm coming to work every day feeling like I lost my purpose. Just optimizing for revenue. Kind of what you were talking about people earlier that they're feeling. And I'm calling that the hidden pandemic. And I'll get, I'll get more into that a little later. I wanna talk about that. It's super interesting. So I, uh, I call my pastor's daughter because I, I don't know what to do. And so I said, hey, Kayla, what should I do? How can I help? How can I get back to the church? She gave me a few ideas. Their church is opening a new campus in Santa Monica, California, and you know, I'm not I'm not really an extrovert. I forced myself and I said, "You know, opening a church campus, I don't really know how that works. Let me let me pray about it."
1: You sound totally socially awkward just saying. <laughs> Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> At least I know myself. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I just told her, I said, you know, let me pray about it. I don't really know what I'm doing. And uh, the next day I walked into a local coffee shop in my hometown. And when, you know, I ran into a good buddy of mine, we played on rival high school football teams We're both entrepreneurs We're in the same entrepreneur groups. And that was my co-founder, Steve. And he looked like he got hit by a train that day. He did not look well. And so I just said, Steve, sit down, let's talk. And that's when Steve outlined, That his business partner had just died in a tragic plane crash in Medellin, Colombia. They were filming a movie called American Made with Tom Cruise. And, you know, it was just a routine trip. They were taking the plane back to the hangar and ended up crashing in the jungle. And Steve really didn't know what to do. He didn't have religion in his life. He didn't have faith in his life. He'd been dragged to, uh, you know, Catholic Church on Christmas and Easter. And that was about it by his grandma. So... When Steve was going through that tragedy in his life, he was doing all the uh, hippie woo woo California stuff that we do. He was going to Green <laughs> Juice, Soul Cycle, listening to Tony Robbins and watching uh, Oprah Super Soul Sunday. And so uh, none of it was really helping him. And a friend of his identified that and sent him a podcast from a pastor. And it wow. changed Steve's life. It was a pastor out of Texas. And when Steve felt that transformation in his life, he felt called by God to build the digital destination for faith online. And when he did that, he set up meetings with entrepreneurs uh, that he knew. And wouldn't you know, a guy had a coffee book, you know, size portfolio of domains. And Steve was flipping through it. It was literally on paper in a book format and three pages in part of the way down pray.com. And that's what Steve knew he wanted to do. Wow. We're in this coffee shop. Steve's telling me this story. His business partner died in Columbia, all of these different things. And I had just talked to my pastor's daughter the day before on how I could help and give back. And I said, Steve, this is Providence. You you may not know what that means yet. I'll teach you. Don't worry. I built some apps. I know you're going to want to build an app for pray.com. Whatever you need, I'll help you. I'll do it for free. That's what I said. Well, the next day, Steve called me up and said, Hey, will you start the company with me? I said, absolutely. I stepped down as CEO of my company. I put my co-founder in as CEO. He's doing an incredible job. Shouts to him. (laughs) Yeah. Shout outs outs to Will Graywall. He's doing amazing stuff at Homestack. I mean, they're doubling revenue year over year, doing incredibly well. When I linked up with Steve, he he already had two other co-founders, incredible Mike Lynn and Ryan Beck. Who are amazing guys. Mike used to be at Merrill Lynch. He was one of the top 100 bankers in the United States. Ryan was actually uh, in jail, which is an incredible story he has. So, went to jail for dealing drugs, got out, ended up getting mentored by a pastor, got a job at a church as a janitor. And the pastor and the church sent him to college, got him a scholarship from the church. He got his computer science degree, and now he's our CTO. So, Ryan's absolutely incredible.
1: Well, so now that we've gotten through your incredibly boring origin story as a company, <laughs> <laughs> sorry this was long. <laughs> oh my god, that's like unbelievable! It's, I have so many directions I want to go. I'm really angry because like you, you already brought up like five different things I wanted to talk about. This is going to be so orderly. All right, we're gonna we're just gonna shoot from the hip here. So I want to pick up on a couple things you just said. Number one is, you know, you talk about your co-founder, you know, trying to find community in other places. It's not fulfilling. And I think it's almost a misconception about the strength of American life. Like de Tocqueville, one of the great, probably the greatest observer of American life in the history of this republic, has this concept that what makes America strong is it has this culture of associational life, right? People are coming together in political salons, in bowling clubs, and so on and so forth. And I, I think there's this conception that When people come together, wherever you have a large group of people, there's incipient community there. And as long as you can kind of formalize it a bit, boom, you got community. I happen to suspect, and I've suspected for the last couple of years, at least, especially seeing what you've called the hidden pandemic. And that's so brilliant. I want to come back to that. And maybe now's the time. But especially seeing that I've suspected that Tocqueville was wrong and that actually, the type of association matters. Like, just because there are a bunch of people in one place doesn't mean that you get community, certainly fulfilling community. Just because you're working in the same office doesn't mean that's the beginning of community. Just because you're working out together doesn't mean community is there. I actually think the story of America is the story of a country that kind of uniquely in the Western world, especially at that point, it's just a country that's very religious. And we've kind of been Mooching off of that history of ours for a long time and what I think we've seen in the last few decades particularly this decade is what happens when you start to lose so much of that heritage and I think part of the story that you guys can tell and that you guys are helping are actually a part of that story is what can be unlocked in our society when people start to get that back in their lives in new and creative ways? So for you as someone who's just like a leading entrepreneur, period, but specifically somebody who is an incredible builder in the faith space, what is special about the world of faith that distinguishes it from other types of community like Soul Cycle or, or Peloton or your local bowling club?
2: Yeah, you know, you know, that's a great question. And uh just taking it back a little bit i mean america got kicked off by uh the pilgrims escaping religious persecution right so i mean it really comes all the way back to our roots and the first things that they did when they got off the boat
1: plymouth rock they prayed right yes psalm 107 if you read uh the journals
2: yeah and so you bring up a lot of great points and there's a lot of um you know incredible clubs or ways that we associate ourselves or buckets that we put ourselves in right uh, but really it's the strength of those relationships. So that's that's kind of the way that I would look at it. It's you know, you you may work out with a group but how strong are those relationships? How strong are those ties? When you look at community and you look at church specifically, you know, you you have people that are growing up together, they're learning together, they're being educated together, they believe in a higher power, they're being taught different values, and that community holds each other accountable.
1: It's not just about you all happen to be in the same place.
2: Yeah, it's it's not, oh, we all have the same common interest in this one thing here, but really there's nothing else outside of that that connects us together, that one shared experience. And shared experiences do bring community right? But a lot of shared experiences, especially around church. I mean, people volunteering together, people giving back together or learning together, all of those things and the values that they have and create within church, I think is what brings people together.
1: That's fantastic. I want to get there now to the hidden pandemic, right? So we've just gone through a period of terrible, very obvious challenges yeah and I think it kind of alides the less obvious challenges that I think in so many in many ways are, are more insidious not because they're necessarily worse. I mean th- there's nothing worse than people dying but they're more insidious because they're harder to identify and therefore harder to to attack. So what do you see as the the hidden pandemic? I'm not going to take
2: credit for that term. My co-founder Mike Lynn really figured this out and called it the hidden pandemic. What's interesting, uh, Rabbi Ari, is, you know, we just went through the pandemic, right? We had this virus. It was attacking everybody. Lots of people died. It affected everybody in the United States, at least almost everyone, right? But what we're going through now is the after effects of people being stuck inside or having been wrought with fear for a long period of time. So we have this hidden pandemic. And it's mental and spiritual health that people are going through. And it's not something you can see, like you said. You can't tell if someone's going through, you know, some mental issues. You can't tell all the time if people are going through spiritual health issues and they, you know, aren't connecting with God or they're not praying or they're not getting back to their roots. You can't you can't really tell. And so that's what I would call the hidden pandemic. And my co-founder, Mike Lynn, would call the hidden pandemic. It's the after effects of the actual pandemic. And people people are really good at hiding it, right? We're really good at hiding when we're not feeling well. When's the last time you asked someone, how you doing? And they said, bad. You know, Everybody responds with good. Everybody wants to give the answer of good. But there's a lot of people struggling with a lot of things, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, You know, all of these things can be solved with the Bible, with church, with community. You know, there's a lot of them can. I'm not saying everyone, you know, there is definitely people who are suffering uh, way more than others that need medical help, um, and they should go and get that. But there's people who can just, through connection and through going back to the Bible, going back to church, can resolve a lot of those issues as well.
1: It's funny, because I feel like sometimes people treat those other things that they need which they, as you said, should all go get. It's kind of like water, oxygen, something like that. Like you can't live without it, but faith is sort of like sugar, right? Like it's nice to have and it's tasty if it's that, if that's your jam, but you know, it's like discardable. And I think what we're finding is it's really not, I mean, of course you can't force someone to do anything, but it's like such a rich part of human the human experience, right? I'm actually curious. So the company is founded when, like 2017, that, that area around about
2: into 2016. Yeah. End of
1: 2016, you guys are going out getting investors and you guys are in the digital space. The stereotype of that kind of, you know, of that world sort of like VC investing is that it's pretty hostile to the kind of community that you're coming from. Was that your experience or, or was it not like, what did you find when you went out to get investors?
2: Yeah, when we when we went out to get an investment it was it was really interesting because some some people got it right away. Other people they're investing in crypto or AI and they're just, oh this doesn't really match our thesis or what we're what we're looking for. It wasn't hostile per se. It was that people either got it or they didn't get it. And I'll tell you a quick story. So I was talking to an incredible investor, amazing guy incredible product person. And I'm not going to reveal names, but he's absolutely amazing. And he said, he said, Matt, look, I don't get this. You know, I think what you guys are doing is great. 2.5 billion people on the planet are Christian or or would love this product. I can't believe no one's building anything for Christian people. Like you guys are thinking about it in the faith market, if you want to call it a market. Um, And he's like, but I just don't get it. And I just kind of went silent on the phone because I really didn't know what to say at that point. And then, you know, there was a long pause. And then he said, but my wife has a women's Bible study that meets at my house every week. And uh, I get what you're doing through her. So here you go. I'm going to write you a check. I believe in what you guys are doing. I was like, this is, that's incredible. And that's really uh, how it went. You know, there were people who understood that no one was building anything For this community of people, that's 2.5 billion people on the planet. It's not a niche.
1: Over 6
2: billion people on the planet are religious, right? Uh, So it's something that's really interesting that that a lot of people believed it was a small niche market.
1: It's funny because we've talked in this pod, like we've had a bunch of amazing VCs on this pod, investors, people with experience in this space. And one of the things that listeners will be familiar with is I'm a huge believer that actually... Silicon Valley and faith are natural allies. We both kind of see huge rewards in looking at the world as a deeply weird place and and believing all sorts of, you know, things that other people think are crazy, but we actually are able to see truth and beauty and meaning in. So I think it's incredible what you guys were able to build. I'm also curious, how has your kind of model been affected by the pandemic? You know, I think it's kind of cliche to say that, oh, you know, digital was really helped with the pandemic because there's so much remote stuff. But faith in particular is the sort of thing that during a global plague, it's interesting to think about, like, how does that impact faith specifically? So what did you guys see during the pandemic?
2: Yeah, for us, uh, you know, we grew by 1500 percent. Wow. The growth was incredible. What was happening was not incredible. Right. To be clear. We weren't excited that people were having to stay inside and that the world was being wrought with a virus, right? Was being spreading all over the world. We were happy, though, that people were turning to prayer and integrating that into their daily lives. And it really what kicked it off for me was we go to church. That's a great thing. We go to Bible studies, but rarely does it come to us. Right. And so that's really what what kicked it off for me is we were going to people We're distributed incredible content that people needed in that time of need. And during the pandemic, we we heard from our community, from our users through our reviews and people were saying, oh, I don't know what to do. I've got my kids at home. I have nothing for my kids. And so they needed incredible kids content on the Bible to put their kids to sleep at night. And we were happy to oblige them. We, we released all of our kids' content that we, you know, we spent lots of money developing our incredible kids' content. We hired a 61-piece orchestra, former Disney voice actors and actresses. <laughs> our, our kids' content is absolutely incredible. And during the pandemic, when we were hearing from our users and parents that they needed things for their children, we released it for free for them. We, we gave it completely free during the pandemic to parents all over the world so that they could help put their children to sleep at night by entertaining them and educating them on the Bible. It was really, really cool.
1: I feel like there's a stereotype about prayer, whether you see it in the movies or on TV or whatever it is, that it's kind of like this hyper-individualized practice, right? It's all about that relationship between you and God or whatever you believe in. Now in the community that I grew up in and I'm as as listeners know I'm a I'm one of those religious fanatics you like read about in the papers right like proud orthodox rabbi the community that I grew up in prayer is communal like you can't pray seriously outside the context of community how do you see this cuz you guys are dealing at really like a global level you guys are seeing this at scale how do people think about prayer is it that sort of hyper individual experience everybody wants you know their own tailored thing? Or do you see that people are using prayer as a way to create community or they want to experience prayer through community? Like how do you guys perceive that in in Pray.com?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question, really great question. And the way that we would communicate that internally in Pray.com is single player mode or multiplayer mode, right? And so we we see those two things. Uh, We see multiplayer, which is the idea of I'm going to advocate and pray for you with my relationship with God. And that's, uh, you know, Rabbi Ari, you're going through something or you need prayer for something in your life. I am going to think of you. I'm going to pray for you during my prayer time. That's the multiplayer, right? And in the app, the way that we accomplish this is you can post your prayer request. People can say that they're praying for you. Now, let's let's say your prayer is answered, right? You were in the hospital, you were sick or something's happening in your life. God answers your prayer. You can change that prayer to a praise report. And everybody who prayed for your prayer will get a push notification, let them know, you know, what's going on in your life. Now let's say it doesn't happen they get an update. You can update your prayer along the way of of different things that are going on in your life. And so we create community through prayer, through that mechanism inside the app where people can post prayers. And people have become, you know, lifelong friends through meeting through prayer and prayer requests with different communities inside the app. Now, the other way that people pray, right, is single player. So it's their time in the morning. And people don't realize that prayer is, it's different than meditation. It's a little nuanced. It's one, there's one little different thing that happens in your brain, right? When you're meditating on a problem or something that's going on, you're internalizing and you're thinking about the problem. Now that works for some people, right? It's different when you pray about it because you're giving the problem to God. And that one little difference actually changes the way that your brain works when you're giving your problem to God and you have that personal relationship through prayer. So all that to say, two different modes, single player, multiplayer, And uh, we see people doing both in the Pray.com app, whether they're being prompted through a daily devotional that we have and a guided prayer that they can go through and then have their own personal time, or they can post prayers and prayer requests in our different communities in the app.
1: One of the cool things about Pray.com that what you just described, which is incredible, just speaks to, is ritual. So again, speaking about kind of conventional wisdom, average Joe on the street, there's like this, again, this stereotype, which, which does not reflect my own lived experience, but I'm pretty sure it's out there, which is ritual is kind of the, the opposite of a healthy spiritual life. Right. In other words, like faith should be like spontaneous and you know, whatever you're feeling at the moment. Otherwise it's by rote. Whereas kind of when you look at the kind of life that the Bible describes, there's ritual all over the place And there's actually something noble about regularity, about showing up every single day and doing something, whether it's showing up and praying every day or in a, just like a blue collar aspect, whether it's showing up every single day to your job at McDonald's and doing a job well done, you know, or whether it's Cal Ripken Jr. showing up every single day and being, I mean, he was a great player, but I'm saying being awesome, right? It's not just showing up and being terrible, but showing up and like really doing your job. So because Pray.com is kind of a, in the digital media space, so you guys see metrics, you guys see KPIs, you guys see numbers. How do you think about the regularity, the ritual aspect of prayer, as opposed to just the stereotype of, oh, it's it's just about what you're feeling in the moment?
2: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the way that I would describe ritual is discipline, Right. And I love that. What's interesting is we, we glorify in the news, the overnight success, right? The take this pill, you'll be better in a day, right? Uh, or thinner or whatever it is, right? But really, a lot of things are about discipline, which is also rich, ritual, can be ritualistic, right? And in the app, the way that we, we do this is we have something called a streak, so you can track how many days in a row that you have prayed. And you can also share that with family and friends. So if you want to you know, share your streak with family and friends of, of what you're doing. And we've, we've had like Bible study groups where they say, we're going to pray for a year every single day for this one thing. Or even churches, we're going to pray for a year every day for this one thing. And they can track it in the app through the streak. It'll show you how many days in a row that you've done it. And now it's on the honor system, right? We don't, we haven't created some new crazy technology that can tell if you're praying or not, but you say that you've prayed and you track your streak through the app. So we're all about the discipline and the devotion that it takes to pray every single day.
1: That's beautiful. I tell you, as I was preparing for this conversation, it occurred to me You know, I was thinking about this question. One of the biggest challenges that I've personally had over the pandemic was just burnout and prayer, right? So, you know, showing up every single day, saying the same words over and over again. So I come from a tradition where we literally, we say the same words over and over again, every single day. And then every single week on the Sabbath, it's also the same words. And I kind of had this epiphany almost this morning. I was so tired and i'm i'm i just got back from a trip i'm super jet lagged and i had this realization like i did not have the energy the spiritual power the the emotional bandwidth to bring my best faith and concentration to my prayers but precisely because of that there was something so comforting and and warming about knowing that my ancestors my family i mean going back to you know, members of my family who who perished during the Holocaust, like they were saying the same exact words when they were being led to a gas chamber or slaughtered or whatever it was. And I kind of had this epiphany, like, I don't need to bring my own personal story to this prayer every day, because if I don't, so many people throughout the centuries, millennia have brought their stories to it. And I can tap into that. Like the beauty of of spiritual community is you don't have to be the man every single day you can rely on the the strength and the encouragement of others. And I, as I was thinking about pray.com, I'm like, oh my God, this is pretty great. <laughs> I should probably tell Matt about this on the pod.
2: <laughs> At my church, we would say, uh, let go and let God. That's kind
1: of- Oh, that's great, I love it. Yeah. So I'm curious, you just have access to so many people having these incredible prayer, liturgical experiences every day. What's like a great story? Like when you're like, man, thank God I found it, pray.com. If only for this whole thing would have been worth it. Like, what's a great story that, that's come out of this whole experience, just bringing this into people's lives?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, you know, as as you know, in startups, in the very beginning, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? And everybody's doing every job.
1: I literally wear a hat everywhere. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, if podcasts are a famously visual medium, right? So I'm just pointing to my yarmulke. Yeah. Anyway, go, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, many hats.
2: <laughs> in, in the very beginning, uh, we were very particular about answering every single review in the App Store. Uh, we're one of the only apps where we still, till this day, we answer every single review one star review five wow. star review everybody gets an answer on the app stores okay and so uh, we've had incredible stories come in but one that still i I still can't let go of that has happened is uh, in the very beginning you know you can go through the app store we've uh, we have over a hundred thousand five star reviews you'll see my name responding to people's reviews that they put in the app store well we got a phone call one day and it was a woman who couldn't log into the app. Uh, not not a particularly hard problem you know and it was about I want to say it was about 8 p.m or 9 p.m at night and we're still in the office Our office was about an hour and a half away from my house so for uh, and my co-founders so we would drive around three hours a day and to beat the traffic we would leave around 9 p.m at night from the office 9 or 10. and so this call came in it was like the last thing I did that day and the woman on the phone, she was in her 70s. She called in and said, I can't get into the app and I need to get into the app. And I said, oh, not a problem. We'll help you. What's going on? How are, how are you doing today while I help you get into the app? And she had forgotten her password for her email. So we were re- resetting a password and super easy thing to do. And she said, I'm so happy that you can do this today. I'm in the chemo chair. And, you know, me at the time, I think I was 32 at the time. I didn't know what the chemo chair was. So I was, oh, what's the chemo chair? You know, just innocently, she said, well, I have stage four cancer. And I said, oh, I am so sorry to hear that. And she said, I listened to your app to buy my time here on earth while I get chemotherapy. And I said, oh, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear that. And, you know, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her over the phone. Come to find out later, she told me that all of her family had passed away. She was the last living member of her family. This was the second time that she was going through stage four cancer. And she had told me in confidence that this was probably the end and that she wanted to listen to, I still get, I get, I still get choked up about this actually super tough conversation. Take
1: your time, take your time.
2: Um, But yeah, that she wanted to listen to Pray.com's Bible stories before she died. And then it brought her comfort in this process that she was going through at the the end of her life. And when you start a company, you have grand plans, right? You think everything's gonna go a certain way. And when we started Pray.com, we were actually in... Homestack, my first company in our offices, talking about what are we going to build? And, and we all agreed, we were at a boardroom table that we would help people, that this was needed and it would help people. You know, we never we never thought that people would be using this before they died. That never crossed my mind, which leads me to another story. So we had a guy right in who was thinking about committing suicide. He had an eight-year-old daughter. He didn't know what to do. Through the Pray.com app and our communities in the app, he got connected to a local church where he lived. That church provided him with resources, got him help, and he does our daily prayer every single day. So imagine you're sitting at your boardroom right in the beginning of starting a company. You never know that by distributing this incredible content that you could actually save people's lives. And so every day I get up at the same time, I get up at 5 a.m. every day and I jump out of bed for people like the woman who called in, who was going through stage four cancer for people like the guy that was going to commit suicide. And now he's the super volunteer at a church and his life's on an incredible track. And so that's what keeps us going. And that's the effect that we're having in the world. And I can't think of a greater purpose for my life. And when I was sitting with Steve at that coffee shop back after I talked to my pastor's daughter about how I could help him give back to my church, God opened this door to merge passion and skill. And I'm so glad that I jumped in with both feet. It's just, I feel honored and blessed to be here and to be even capable of doing what we're doing in the world.
1: Amen. First of all, Matt, thank you so much for for sharing that. That's unbelievably powerful. And I really only have one question left, although I hesitate to ask it after how transcendent that was. But I think it's important because, as you said, you know, you're here and we're here, we're all here to change lives and to transform the world for the better in service to God. At least that's what I believe. Me too. The spiritual condition of Gen Z, the next generation, kind of 13 to 25, has been much lamented. The way I would put it is the the reports of Gen Z's spiritual demise have been exaggerated, much exaggerated. But there is this kind of like, you know, conventional story. I'd call it a canard that Gen Z is kind of like doesn't care about this stuff and so forth. Like when you're looking at the future of faith, of prayer, what are you seeing?
2: I don't subscribe to... um that Gen Z is moving away from faith. I think they want a genuine connection and they want to discover it for themselves. So they don't necessarily want to do what mom and dad taught, but they want to go explore and discover for themselves. And when they do that and they come back and they find out, what mom and dad found out, right, we're probably going to see a shift in that mindset and thinking. And, you know, I I talk to churches all the time. I talk to pastors all the time. And, you know, the stories that I hear is, well, you know, kids go off to college, and they kind of lose their uh, values that the or they bring some of their values right from home. And then they get married, and they have children, and they realize I got to teach my children values, and what values should I teach my children? And then what happens is their spouse or them ends up going back to church and back to the values that they loved, that they were taught from their parents. So everybody kind of has that moment where they rebel, or most of us do rebel, and then come back. And I think that's just what we're seeing in just a bigger way, whether you call it population or um, you know from the pandemic, a little bit less people are attending in physical church, but hopefully through apps like Pray.com and others, uh, people are able to discover their faith and explore on their own and have that genuine connection and really come to believe what they believe through uh, themselves, not just relying on what they were taught from their parents.
1: Listen, tradition, faith, community, like we're back to being countercultural again. And that's where we've always thrived. Like we've always been punk rock. That's right. I love that. Oh, my God, Matt, this has been unbelievable. I really thank you so much for coming on. This is so beautiful. I I really appreciate it. And I hope you come come on again soon.
2: Hey, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here and uh, exciting conversation. So much fun. I hope I can come back soon.
1: You know, friend of the pod, Catherine Boyle, that's a great episode, by the way, you should totally listen to it, from last year. Uh, She's written a lot recently about the importance of renewing American dynamism, our society's capacity to build. And the American dynamism agenda is mostly about building physical capacity, to be sure, defense, factories, supply chains. It's a big, bold, ambitious agenda, and I love it. But one thing I wanna see talked about more in that space And I think you're already starting to see it in Catherine's other writings, is building back our society's capacity for faith. If we want to really transform the world for the better, we don't just need buildings and boats, horses and chariots, trains, planes and automobiles, though those things are good too. We need purpose. We need a sense of mission. We need shared values and strong communities. And that's why I'm so thrilled to have folks like Matt out there building out the world of faith, bringing it out to the people in new and creative ways and... As you heard, when you build something like that, I mean, who knows whose life you will literally save. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the pod, then please be awesome. Head into Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. Five stars only. Because it really helps people find the show. Anyway, this is Ari Lamb making a good fave effort. I'll see you next
0: time. Good Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Galad Brownstein. This is a Soul shot podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lam and sign up for our email list at soulshopstudios.com slash goodfaitheffort. For more information about SoulShop, Shop, follow SoulShop Shop on Twitter at soulshopstudios Shop Studios and on Instagram at soulshop_studios. underscore studios. And check out soulshopstudios.com.